Well, good morning, everyone. Hey, it's so good to have all of you today, especially those of you joining us online as well. We're so glad that you're with us, especially if you're here for the first time, because we're in the second part of a series entitled Inconceivable. And the reason we're in this series is because we are in a season where the declaration that Jesus made about 2,000 years ago, that he was going to launch this gathering of people, this movement of people, it absolutely seemed inconceivable to that group that small group of Jewish followers that this teacher could lead them into bringing about any kind of positive change in this world. But you know what happened? The inconceivable happened. And you know what? We're here as proof of that today. Like what started out as this little insignificant movement in the corner of the Roman Empire, what it did is it grew and it spread and it impacted thousands of people's lives in that region and continued to spread to impact hundreds of thousands and now even millions of people's lives. But here's the reality. That was then and this is now. And the question becomes in the culture in which we live, is it possible for the inconceivable to happen again? Like what would it take for this movement, this thing called the church? What, it would, what would it take for Jesus, what Jesus did 2,000 years ago and, and impacted a society, led a group of people to impact a society? Could that happen again? Can we as Christ followers make a difference in the place in which we live? Like what would it take for that to happen because the reality is most of us know that in the culture in which we live, um, man, people just kind of written off Christianity. In fact, one of the things that even is confusing in our culture is what, what does it even mean to be a Christian? Because when you ask people, what does it mean to Christian? This questionnaire, what does it mean to be a Christian? You, you get all kinds of different answers. There's so many different answers. In fact, a lot of people in our country would say, there's no good thing about Christianity. And from their worldview, they would say things like this, that Christianity is oppressive, it's judgmental, it's hypocritical, it's racist, it's homophobic. And here's the thing, if, if you have that worldview and, and that's how you think of Christians, like, let me just say this, you probably have a good reason because you probably met some Christians that were that way. And let me just go ahead and say to you, we are heartbroken that that has been your experience. But even more than that, I can tell you God is. Because if that's how you've seen Christians and that's how they've acted, then the reality is you've not been shown what it really means to follow Jesus. Now, that, that's one worldview, but, but then there's other worldview where some good Christians think, or some Christians think that a good Christian means that you, you make sure that everybody around you knows what you're against. And you're so political that you're going to argue and that you're going to fight and you're going to complain and you're going to blame anybody who disagrees with you because somehow you think that's going to help bring our country back to God. And then there's another worldview of Christians who they would say, well, a good Christian means that you're a good person. You're just a really nice person. And, and then you behave and, and you be, believe and you hold on to what you believe about God. And that's just between you and God. And so you go to church and you read your Bible and you pray. And, and then you just kind of leave changing the world to other people. But here's the reality. When you read the pages of Scripture... What you understand is that Jesus never defined a Christian in any of those ways. As a matter of fact, he didn't even use the term Christian to define the people who followed him. You know what Jesus called people who followed him? He called them disciples. 
He called them disciples. And Jesus was very clear in defining for everyone what made a person a good disciple. And don't miss this. He didn't give us this list of things to check off of what made a good disciple. No, no, no. He just named one characteristic that defines what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 13, which is kind of the foundational passage for this series, Jesus said it this way. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And he goes by this. And when he refers to this, he's referring to the kind of love that God had for, or that Jesus had for us. He says, by this kind of love, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, when you really stop and look at that, that's not really complicated to understand, is it? It's a lot more difficult to live, live out. Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to follow me, then you must love people the way that Jesus has loved you. Because see, Christ-like love is really the distinguishing mark of a disciple. Now, here's the thing. Well, once we've answered the question of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, and, and we boil it down to this one characteristic, and that is loving one another as Christ had loved us. The next question is, why? Why love? Why, why did Jesus make the distinguishing mark of a disciple loving others as he loved us? Why, why not something like faith or memorizing Bible verses or volunteering maybe in your community and, or maybe social justice? Why love? Why is that the distinguishing mark? I mean, after all, most of us, when we hear this whole thing of loving other people, we get this idea going, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person and I already kind of act loving toward people. But Jesus isn't asking us to love like we love now. When Jesus makes this statement, he's saying, I, I don't want you just to keep loving the way you love now. Jesus is not asking us to love people like other people love people. No, Jesus is saying, listen, the standard to compare your love to others. He says, you got to understand this. The standard to compare your love to others is based on how Jesus loved in fact, Jesus says, if you're my follower, the standard is I don't look at how other people are living their life and compare myself. That makes you a people follower. He says, the standard is you look at me and you see how I love and then you compare yourself to me. And that makes you a Jesus follower. So he says, as I have loved you, that's the standard. And I'm going to tell you, that is a much, much higher standard of love than what most of us have lived out. Our standard of love has always been to look around and go, well, I'm better than that person or I'm better than that person. That doesn't make you a Jesus follower. That makes you a people follower. And Jesus says, no, this standard, it is much higher. And I just want to say it's so much higher that if throughout the years, people who call themselves Christians had consistently practiced loving like Jesus, loving like Jesus defined it, then there would not have ever been a civil war in our country. There would have never been slavery. There would have been no racism in our country. And there wouldn't be all these cultural wars between Christians and non-Christians in our country right now. No, no, no. It wouldn't have happened. You know why? And I know some of you are sitting here going, because that's a pretty big claim. Well, to kind of help you understand what we mean when we say loving Jesus would have, would have taken care of those things and it's the only thing that's going to change our world. 
to something better than we're experiencing right now. What we're going to do today is, is we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that Jesus taught. And in this passage, we're going to understand a much better way of how Jesus saw the world and how he envisioned his disciples interacting with the world. And what we're going to begin to discover as we look at this passage today, we're going to discover the real power of loving others as Jesus has already loved us. So if you've got your Bibles or you follow along on an electronic device, um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, this was recorded by one of Jesus' disciples of what Jesus said. Matthew recorded this. And on this occasion, basically what has happened, Jesus has gathered his group of followers together and people that are around him, they have no influence, they have no political power, and here's the thing, he told them, he says, here is how you need to love if you want to change the world. And he goes, and if you love this way, you will change the world. Here's what he says, beginning in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus speaking, he says, you, you, referring to the people listening to him, that's you and I as well. He says, you, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you are the salt of the earth. Now, don't miss that. You are the salt of the earth. You make a big difference is what he's saying. Now, here's the thing you got to understand. Everybody listening to Jesus in that culture, they knew exactly what he meant. Because, see, salt had a primary purpose in that culture. It was about preserving things. Because in that culture, without refrigeration, it was the only way to keep meat and fish and things like that from spoiling. Without a preservative, things would rot and spoil and decay. So the message to the people Jesus is speaking to is very loud and very clear. In essence, Jesus was saying this. He's saying, as my followers, you are the preservative. Don't miss this. He says, you are the preservative for the planet Earth. Literally, your presence in this world is like salt on meat. All the spoiling, all the rotting, all the decaying that's happening throughout our culture. He says, you are going to be able to slow that down simply by being loving as Jesus was loving to others. In other words, he comes along, he goes, Here, here's the reason you don't murder. You don't murder because that's not the loving thing to do. You, you don't lust because people don't act selfishly when they love other people. Or you don't retaliate with anger when someone wrongs you because, see, people who love, what they do is they forgive because that's how love acts. Or, or you don't just lie to get your way. That's not how you do when you love. No, you treat people the way that you want to be treated. You treat people as though they are made in the image of God that every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, I mean, no matter their ethnicity, they are equal in value and you treat them that way. Now, the people listening to Jesus, they most likely were probably thinking something that maybe some of us are thinking in this culture. How can we impact our culture? How can we change our culture? Like nobody's even paying attention to us. We, we have no influence in our culture. 
And what Jesus is saying is this, you don't understand how powerful love is. You don't understand how powerful it is. It's more powerful than armies. It's more powerful than governments. It's more powerful than bosses or boards. It's more powerful than anything you can ever imagine. And when you bring loving like Jesus loved into your family, in your workplace, in your classroom, in your community, and you love like Jesus loved, he says the impact at first it may seem small it may seem small in that moment but it's not he goes love works because he says you are like the preservative for the planet you are the salt of the earth so how you love it really does matter but Jesus continues, he goes on. He says, but if the salt loses its saltiness, in other words, if you stop loving like Jesus and you just start loving like everybody else and you compare yourself to how you love other people by how you see other people loving people. He says, if you stop making a difference by responding to life and situations with the kind of love that Jesus has, in other words, he says, if the right thing to do becomes the wrong thing to do and the wrong thing to do becomes the right thing to do, literally he says, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. In other words, he says, if you get caught up in the worldview of our culture, and you just love the way the world says to love, the way the world defines love. And the way the world defines love, it's so confusing. Nobody knows what they mean when they talk about love. And he says, here's what happens. Everybody ends up worse for it. Everybody loses. In fact, part of the reason that I believe Christians are getting trampled by men in our culture today is because we as Christ followers, we have lost our saltiness because we have compared how we love to how other people love instead of comparing how we love to how Jesus loved. And Jesus says, listen, if we're not loving others the way that Jesus loved us, if we're just talking a good game, but we're not putting our words into action. And he says, here's the thing. If that's all you're doing, then you're just another voice spotting off some kind of ideology. You're just one other voice in a, in a culture with all these other voices just spouting off another ideology. And according to Jesus, if we lose our saltiness, we deserve to be thrown out and trampled by men. Now, I want you to think about this, and this is really not hard to do, what I'm going to ask you to do, but I want you to imagine, I want you to be, imagine in your mind for just a moment, what would it be like for nobody in our world to embrace this value of loving other people like Jesus? Now, here's the reality. It's not hard to do, is it? because we've experienced that a lot in our world, especially in the last few months. And here's the thing, whether you're a Christ follower or you're not a Christ follower today, here, here's what you know. You understand, you don't want to live in a world like that. There's chaos, confusion, hate, discord, division. And Jesus is telling us as Christ followers, he says, listen, if you are not salt, 
And if you don't love to the standard that Jesus calls us to, then everybody is worse for it. Everybody loses. And then this is so important that he gives us another example. He says, it's not just, you're not just the salt of the earth. He says something else. He says, you are also the light of the world. Now, the people that Jesus was talking to that day, the world was very small to them. Most people probably didn't travel more than 15 to 30 miles in their lifetime away from their home. They, they didn't even know that North America and South America existed. But Jesus knew that if they lived and loved as he called them to do right there in their culture, then what would happen is their influence, it would begin to spread and it would spread and the message of the gospel, it would spread. And you know what? Guess what? It did. It spread so much that right now there are churches in North America and South America and there are churches in every country in the world. But if you had asked them that day when Jesus said that, do you think that could happen? Like this could go global, that kind of thing. They didn't even understand global. They would have never believed it then. They, they just thought they were nobodies with no influence living in this obscure, forgotten part of the Middle East swallowed up by the Roman Empire, being oppressed by the Roman Empire. But that's not how, not how Jesus saw it. In fact, he said this, you are the light of the world. A city, don't miss this word right here, set on a hill cannot be hidden. And this word set right here, it means strategically placed. In other words, Jesus is saying, you, every one of you, you have been strategically placed where you are so that you can love, that's the light part, so that you can love and live as Jesus called you to love and live. You, you are not where you're at right now on accident. You are where you're at for a reason, for a purpose. Now, here's what I know. A lot of you go, oh, I'm not set here strategically. There's, there's no way. I, I got a divorce and I couldn't afford to go anywhere else. Or I graduated and I couldn't find a job, so I took the first offer or the only offer I had. Or I'm just, I'm, I'm not strategically placed. I'm stuck here, not by choice, but by necessity. But Jesus says, no, no, you are strategically placed like a city set on a hill. He says, if you are a follower of me, you are where you are right now for a reason. You have been strategically placed in your workplace. You've been strategically placed in the school that you're in. You've been strategically placed the team that you're on, the apartment complex that you live in, the neighborhood that you live in. He says, you have been strategically set right there to live and love like Jesus so that you you can be light in the middle of a very dark world. In fact, Jesus continues. He says, neither do people put a light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And then he says, and in the same way, literally in the same way that a city is strategically placed on a hill and in the same way that a light is strategically placed in a house, he says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. Now, when Jesus talks about good deeds here, he's not talking about good deeds like most of the time you and I think about good deeds. He's not talking about being kind to your neighbor who's kind to you or helping that friend who always helps you. He's not even talking about, you know, giving money occasionally at Thanksgiving or Christmas to people who are needy. No, no, no. 
That, that's the standard that everybody lives by. The standard that he's calling us to with good deeds, it is so much higher than that. He's talking about a love that is so sacrificial, so supernatural that people look at you and they think, why in the world would you be that generous? I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand why you would do something like that. Or why would you be so kind to your enemy? That doesn't make any sense at all. Or why would you forgive someone after what they did to you? Like, I would never be able to do something like that. Or why would you be so, so kind to someone and serve someone who's treated you so disrespectfully over and over again? And Jesus says, no, no, no. That's not the kind of good deeds that we're talking about, the average kind. We're talking about those kind of deeds when people go, why would you forgive? Why would you serve? Why would you treat them respectfully when they treat you disrespectfully? People look at you in such a way, they look at your behavior, but instead of patting you on the back, what they do is they go, that can't be you. That's gotta be somebody greater than you. They look literally to your heavenly father because they go, there's no way you could do that on your own. Now, one of the ways of looking at how high the standard is or understanding how high the standard is, is by looking at some of the first followers of Jesus Christ and seeing how they lived and how they loved. See, the early Christians, they took this standard that Jesus called us to, this love that he called us to, this supernatural, sacrificial kind of love, and they believed in it so much that they gave their lives to love people. And in spite of the fact that they had no political power, they had no influence in their culture, and in spite of the fact that most of them lived in regions that were openly hostile to their belief, they just kept loving people and kept loving people like Jesus loves people. And I think there's no better example for this for our day than at the height of what is known as the great or the second great epidemic that struck Rome and empire around AD 250. In fact, small towns, they were decimated by disease and death. And as many as 5,000 people died every day in Rome. And, and with no explanation or cure for, the, for this illness, this disease, the logical thing that you'd have done was to been, have quarantined yourself from the public until the epidemic passed. But in an Easter letter written by Dionysius, he was a bishop in Alexander. We find out that's not what Christians did. In fact, here's how he described what local Christians did. Notice what he writes. Most, so you know he's telling the truth. He's not saying every Christian did this. He said, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ and with them departed this life serenely happy for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner. That's pretty incredible when you think about it. Now, what he's saying is this group of Christ followers, 
were so committed to loving others as Jesus loved them that they were willing to sacrifice even their own lives for the sake of others. Now, common sense, we're told you, hey, run to the hills, protect yourself, you know, flee. In fact, that's what we have been advised to do in this season with COVID-19. And as Christ followers, we were obedient to that. And the reason we were obedient to kind of quarantine ourselves is because we felt like that's what love required us or led us to do during the season. And part of the reason we could do that, don't miss this, part of the reason we could do that is because early Christians took it on themselves to begin to create medical communities that then became the foundation of much of our medicine. And you know what? We have a lot of the medicine. If you look, in fact, a lot of the hospitals and, and, and medical organizations were started by Christians because of this kind of thing. So the question is, what is God calling us to do in this season? Because early Christians, they were willing to risk their lives to reach people for Jesus Christ, to show the love of Jesus Christ. They, they lived by a standard that was so much higher than anybody else. I mean, they believed in a love that's so much greater than just ordinary good people love kind of, that ordinary good people practice kind of love. They believed in loving like Jesus. So what does that mean for us in our culture? I'm not saying we should do the same thing, but I'm saying we should love in our culture like they loved. What does that mean for us? Well, last week, we gave you a prayer to begin to pray to help you begin to love others like Jesus loved. And the prayer was this, Jesus, show me how to love as you have loved me. And if you started praying that prayer, it probably messed you up a little bit because you found yourself in situations where you're going, okay, Jesus, in this situation, show me how to love as you love me. And it didn't lead you down a natural path that you would normally go, did it? It it created some tension. Now, today, what we're going to do is we're going to give you a question that goes along with this prayer. So we want you to continue to pray this prayer, but we also want you to ask this question. And and this question is going to help you clarify what sacrificial supernatural love looks like for you in this next season. So here's the question that we want to leave you with. And the question is this, what would love lead me to do? Not not what, what is somebody else doing, but what would love in this situation lead me to do? So our challenge to you this week is that you begin the habit of asking yourself this question every time you find yourself in, in a situation that is so different than, than you want to experience. In other words, it's like you find yourself in a difficult situation. Just think about this. In light of how Jesus has loved me, what would love lead me to do? So when you're frustrated with your spouse or your children and and you're on the verge of saying something out of anger, just pause and ask yourself this question, what would love lead me to do? And the reality is you'll find that you'll love your spouse and you'll love your children. If you love them as Jesus tells you or leads you to do that, it's going to be a very different road than what you would naturally take. It'll be so different than your natural response. Or maybe when you're at work and you have this opportunity to kind of make yourself look better and everybody else look less than you and make your kind of self stand out and put everybody else down. Would you you just pause and say, what would love lead me to do? Or when you're hurt by someone and you're on the verge of retaliating this week and and you're trying to figure out how I'm going to get revenge and how I'm going to get back, would, would you stop long enough to consider 
What would love lead me to do in this situation? How would you react in this situation if you would live in love like Jesus lived in love? Remember, Jesus washed the feet of the person who betrayed him. Or how about this one? When you're about to ignore a need that you could meet, but in your mind you've kind of justified why you can't afford it, and, and the reason you've justified why you can't afford it is because you're going to go out and buy something for yourself that you don't really need. Would you pause just long enough to ask yourself the question, what would love lead me to do? Or when you turn the corner in that store and you see that ex-boss that ex-employee, that ex-friend, you can keep adding the exes. Would you just stop and instead of trying to dodge them, would you ask yourself the question, what, what would love lead me to do to love them like Jesus loved me? Or when you're about to gossip this week, because I know none of you have a problem with that, but I'm just going to throw it in. But when you're about to gossip this week and you're going to share something with somebody that's going to make that person look bad, maybe even look, make you look good, would you just pause and say, what would love lead me to do? Everybody got the question? You got the scenarios? So let's just say it together. When you're, where you find yourself in a difficult situation, all of us, whether you're online or in our rooms this morning, like when you find yourself in a difficult situation, just pause and ask yourself this question. Let's say it together. What would love lead me to do? Listen. Here's what you're going to discover by praying this prayer and asking this question. There is nothing easy about being salt and light in this world. Nothing easy about it. See, we've read that passage out of Matthew 5, many of us who've been in church for years, and, oh, yeah, I'm the salt of the earth, I'm the light of the world. Listen, when you break it down like this, you understand there is nothing easy about being salt and light. But the truth is, you have been strategically placed where you are. And in all those difficult situations, it's an opportunity for you to show extraordinary kind of love. And I'm just telling you, the greatest opportunities you're ever going to have to share this kind of love is going to be in the most difficult situations that you experience this week. So don't blow it as a Christ follower. Don't take the easy route. Don't take the selfish way. Don't start comparing yourself to all the people around you. Be salt and be light and show the people around you or the group of people around you what it looks like when love prevails. And I'm telling you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, it absolutely will make the world a better place, but it's not going to be easy for you because there's nothing easy about being salt and light in this world, but it's essential because that's what followers of Jesus Christ do. Can I pray for you? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for helping us understand at a whole nother level what it means to love like Jesus loved. God, I pray that you help all of us to walk away from this conversation today, committed to the fact that we're going to be salt and light, even though it's not easy. So we're asking through the power of your Holy Spirit to come and, and fill us with your spirit so that we can go out and be light. We can be salt in our world. Help us to understand what it means in each every, every situation as we pray this prayer and as we ask this question this week. 
God, we ask for your Holy Spirit, just give us a really clear answer and then help us to do what you tell us to do. And we understand it's gonna take sacrifice and we understand it's gonna go against what's natural, but we're committed to loving our world as you've loved us. Thank you for loving us. Help us now to be your hands and feet, to be salt and light in our world. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks. Amen. Hey, thanks everyone for joining us today. Have a great continue or the rest of this 4th of July weekend, and we'll see you next Sunday.